to YBF Politics, the political vertical of the YBF podcast and the YBF.com. And today I have another very special guest because we get all the illustrious guests. It doesn't matter if they're federal, state, local politicians, they are all amazing as hell and they need to be spotlighted. They need a platform and you all need to hear what they need to say. So we're going to talk today to Ms. Renetta Francis, the Democratic candidate for the Arkansas State Senate representing District 1. Remember guys, election day is November 3rd. Get your life together and go vote right now, all right? So we're gonna to talk to Ms. Renata Francis and I'm so, so, so honored to have you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Natasha, for having me. I'm really excited. Yay, of course. Are you familiar with theYBF.com at all? <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am. I, I find some really juicy tidbits of information and content on YBF. Yes, yes. You know, you need your little, you know, you need your gossip relief sometimes. You're a busy woman. Yes, you do see a nice condensed, you know, fashion. So I like that. Oh, perfect. See, she's our kind of girl, guys. She's our yeah. kind of girl. Yeah. All right. So you and your husband were empty nesters before this COVID crisis hit. So, and one of your youngest, you have three daughters, three adult yes. daughters, and one of them moved back, the youngest. That's right. Tell us all, because I'm sure people can relate. Parents can relate. Kids that have moved back can relate. Tell us how it's been. Oh, Natasha, it's been fabulous. I okay. have to tell you, darling, it has been, <laughs> well, I it has been good. It has been challenging when you, for both ends, quite frankly, when you've okay. been a parent and you have an empty nest and your young child has experienced independence and you move back, there are certain expectations. And if you don't communicate what your expectations are on both ends, your life will have a little bit of conflict and being able to kind of work through that and respecting each other in the new places, but also recognizing this is mom and daddy's house. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really delicate balance and you have to have open lines of communication. And we bumped heads several times. And, you know, you know, and it's, she's a daughter, women, you know, we're going to kind of conflict. My husband, not so much. He's so easygoing. Nothing bothers him at all, ever. Ooh. But it's it's been good. It's been good. Good. Um, I couldn't even imagine, honestly, moving back home right now. I think my mom would actually like it. But I don't know. You know how you, know how you parents are. Your mother would love it. I will tell you, as a parent, your mother would love it. We love having our babies close to us and, and nearby. Y'all were so ready for us to leave. It's yeah. college time, gotta go. And now my mom's like, so when are you coming back? That's right, because we missed you. <laughs> but then don't stay too long. But then come back. Exactly don't stay too long. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, so you are running in the state that is the home of the University of Arkansas, which is my Texas A&M Aggies SEC rivals, but I will not hold that against you. We're going to move on. Um, Northwest Arkansas is your well, district. I'm glad. <laughs> Northwest Arkansas is your district, but can you just specify what are the states that make up your district? Or I'm sorry, not states, cities that make up your district. So my cities include Bentonville, Rogers, Cave Springs, Centerton, Elm Springs, a little bit of Springdale, a little bit of Taunty Town, a little bit of Little Elm. So there are a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, but it's 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 an interesting configured district because we're it's like we're this tight little circle in the middle of the county. Mm -hmm. And there are three districts that actually surround us. So it's like we're almost landlocked. We're just kind of carved out of the middle of a of a few other districts. But um, I appreciate the SEC love and we've been here in Arkansas for 13 years. And so, you know, we would cheer for the Razorbacks, but I am actually an Alabama girl. I grew up in Alabama. Another yes, rival, yes, but we and, won't get into that. I know. I know. We've had some really, um, really interesting exchanges over the last yeah. couple of years. Hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. So when, uh, what was his name? Johnny, uh, Johnny Rocket, when he was there? Johnny Mandel. That's actually, he was there right after I left. So. Is that right? right after I left. Yeah. So since you're a football person, I mean, how are you feeling about, there's a lot of drama going on right now with the yeah. SEC, especially. Um, they were adamant about coming back during this COVID crisis. And there was a big 
I mean, you know, it, it's a dilemma, you know, like kids need the football game in order to be on campus, in order to have their scholarship, especially, yeah. especially players of color, which is a majority mm-hmm. of the teams. But mm-hmm. then also we're putting them at risk for entertainment. And are they even getting a cut for this of this money? How do you, it's, it's really a controversial issue. How do you feel about it? Well, I think it's challenging on so many fronts. There's not an easy answer for it. And that's the truth as it relates to the pandemic and the crises that have resulted. There are no easy answers to any of these questions. And when you're balancing the value of human life and safety versus generating uh, income or you know, keeping the economy going. The truth of the matter is without the individuals, without the players, without the essential workers, then you don't have an economy. You don't ultimately have a football team. You don't ultimately, you aren't able to drive those things that are so important. And true, there are social aspects that are critical to people's survival. And there are people right now who are struggling seriously because of the isolation who are really having a hard time. And it's not as if there were a whim that says, okay, now everyone stay home. People are asked to socially distance and isolate themselves for their own safety, for their own physical health and and vitality. And when that um, precaution also creates an issue, it's, it's challenging, it really is. But I have to say that I understand from the institution standpoint, quite frankly, those football programs are cash cows. They drive the 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 economy for the universities. Absolutely. So much money is generated by those football programs. Yes. And they use those to uh, subsidize other programs within the institution and within the university. So there, there are lots of conflicting and pulling demands. Yeah. Hopefully, the, the administrator, staff, coaches, all of them are taking in the health considerations as they are preparing the the students to play. If you look in the stadiums, you can see that they are sparse out. They're not nearly as many students there. The kids love to play. It's it's different, even as we're watching it now. I don't know if you've watched any games this season. It It feels different. It doesn't feel like a normal football season. And quite frankly, if they could have afforded it, I think it would have been better to just forego the season and engage the kids, kids, the athletes, the student athletes and other activities uh, so that they could stay active, they could stay engaged with the community, the college campuses and things of that nature and not put them specifically at that risk. They may not have earned the multi-million dollar packages, but they would have been okay. They would have been okay, you know? Over profits and that's the kind of woman we love. So thank you. That's right. Um, what's the current make makeup right now of the Arkansas State Senate? Why why is it important for you, a Democrat, to get to get elected? So right now, out of the thirty five seats that the are the Arkansas State Senate members, only nine seats are currently held by Democrats. It is an overwhelmingly red state, yeah. red legislature, and what happens with that? is you lose what it means to fully represent your constituency. You don't have a full appreciation for all the issues, the concerns, the values, the philosophies of the people that make up the totality, not only of your district, but also of your state, which which then leads to laws being made that are uh, an antithesis to the, the values and beliefs that the people for whom those laws are passed. Mm-hmm. So without having that balance, having balance uh, as representatives, things, you, you, you have a lot more tension. You have a lot more stress. You have a lot more anxiety. You have a lot more dissension in the ranks. But also what happens is when you have such a power imbalance, then people fight really, really hard to hold on to that power advantage. Mm-hmm. And it, it becomes an even greater struggle to try and balance the power because they see it as losing something rather than as balancing out uh, some inequities. Right. Well, I want people to get that a state, so we've talked about this before, but state government is so, so important mm-hmm. um, because these are the things that affect your everyday life. Mm-hmm. And the things that we're complaining about, 
the way things are operating with COVID. Yeah, the federal government, the White House can say one thing, but your governor, your mm -hmm. state legislature, mm -hmm. people like that actually can make the rules to dictate what's gonna happen oh, in absolutely. the state. So this is why it's so important to elect somebody that agrees with you, but also it's important to, I don't know if you're, I, I didn't look at the numbers of how many Democrats are running this go around. So I don't even know if it's possible to flip the Senate, but the more blue people that are in there, it's better for everyone. Because it's like better for everyone. we need to hear those philosophies. Those people need to be heard. And mm -hmm. I was watching a debate between, I think it was a debate. It was like a 15, 20 minute situation where you and your opponent were talking virtually. Mm -hmm. And I was so annoyed, but I was like, let me just watch this and do my research. But I noticed that he had this, I mean, he's a Republican and mm -hmm. his, his thoughts on things, they're so far-fetched from how I think. Then again, I'm not an Arkansas state resident. Mm -hmm. I don't live in the South anymore. I am from Louisiana, but I do not mm -hmm. live in the South anymore. So I, but I know that mentality. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking of all the people who are more progressive and who think like me who are not even being heard. And he's been in this position for how long? He's been the incumbent for how long, you know? Yeah. So there's a time for somebody to come in there and be like, okay, yes, we understand there's a lot of Republican people in the state, but there is a lot of progressive people as well that think differently. So one of the things that you all were talking about in that debate was um, the role of the government. And you all were talking about rent relief. And this is a huge deal across the country. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I know Jersey thought that they would, I live in New Jersey and they thought they were doing something with relief and they did not. Basically mm -hmm. they were helping landlords, but whatever. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I don't think any states are really helping with rent relief. So when that question came up, he said, I don't think it's the government's job to get involved into, to fix problems. Mm -hmm, and I'm mm -hmm. like, wait, what? If that's the case, mm -hmm. then give me back my tax money. Where's my right. tax money then? Right. So what's your take on rent relief and what the, what the government's role is in that? So I think that the government has a significant responsibility in looking at the root cause of a lot of the social issues that our country and our states are facing when we are, and we have to attack them at the root. And Right now, there is a there is a war on poverty. There is a war on low income individuals. There is a war on low wage earners, and yeah. we have to stop exactly where we are. Reevaluate those systems, starting from each system: housing, education, healthcare, finances, mm -hmm. to determine where. Because we know how these systems were created. First of all, they were created to maintain a sense of power within an elite group, mm -hmm. and when people say the systems are broken, I, I quickly correct them. The systems aren't broken. The systems are working exactly as they were designed. They were not designed to benefit everyone. They were only designed to, to benefit a few. And so when we see that in play and we have wind of it and we're aware, then we yeah. see the, inequ the inequities that these systems uh, produce. Intended consequences, but now more people are aware of these consequences and saying these are inappropriate, they're disproportionate, they're inequitable, they're unfair, and they're unjust. But you can't approach it and resolve it on an individual basis. Like I'm going to give you a voucher for uh, a better education. I'm going to give you uh, this particular benefit. You have to drill down even deeper. So whether or not it's providing rent relief, whether or not it's um, rent control, or other things that we can Institute from a systemic Ooh. to have it then have a greater effect across the entire group of people that are impacted by it instead of a one on one type of situation. And one of the things that we were talking about in that uh, interview, and actually they interviewed us separately. But I think asked us the same question. So it, it may have looked like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of, of, of TV editing, but that's fine. But, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that, you know, I will say that his approach as it relates to letting the government stay out of it is because his industry is real estate and construction. That's where he derives his income. That's where his investments lie. That's where he receives money to run for office. So if you look at the financial disclosures, you'll see that. And so you understand that 
the self-serving aspect of individuals and legislators who've been in office or for an extended or sometimes even a shorter amount of time does the public a disservice because then you're not really looking out for the needs of your constituents. You're looking out for the needs of the people who are lining your pockets, quite frankly, and you know, and 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 other cronies of theirs. And I, I don't like to use those types of words, but the truth of the matter is, you lose sight of the needs of the public. And Arkansas is the only state in the nation that does not have minimum standards of habitability when it comes to landlord-tenant relationships. That is, that is a, absolutely, we have to change it. We have to change it. Arkansans are working hard to pay their rent. And in exchange for that, they deserve to have a safe, habitable living space. Yes. They deserve to be able to turn on the faucet in the sink and not have feces come out of the tub. Right. These are just things that everywhere else you're like, oh my gosh, that's happening? Yes, it's happening. And there've been lobby after lobby after lobby to prevent the government from enacting the regulations and the restrictions needed to ensure that all Arkansans have a safe and habitable living space. So that's something, and, and you know, you, you have to, you talk about the inequities in the, in the power balance in the state. So you have to start building allies. You have to start developing consensus across the aisle because otherwise you can't just, you know, you won't be able to do anything without a, uh, you know, because you're not a majority, you can't just come in and mandate anything. So in order to get a lot of the issues um, passed that are, I have a passion for, you have to start with what's the common ground? Where can we agree? Can we agree that everyone deserves a roof over their head that's not leaking? Mm-hmm. Can we agree that everyone deserves clean drinking water? Mm-hmm. Can we agree on those things? And when you start there, because I, I, I challenge anyone to say, no, no one deserves, you know, everyone doesn't deserve clean drinking water. Only the select few deserve clean drinking water. That's not going to happen. So let's start where we can agree and then work on those things till we get to that point where we're addressing those issues. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that she has the experience to do this, guys. You are an an and and um, oh my gosh, an employment attorney. <laughs> I haven't had much sleep. Just don't blame me. Um, yes. yeah. I know. <laughs> also, a senior ethics and compliance executive. I feel like you do this all the time. So negotiating, solving, being strategic as it relates to coming up with solutions, identifying the root cause, those are things I have a tremendous amount of experience doing. And being comfortable in the silence when you're negotiating, I've got that. You know, some people are afraid. No, no, no. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah, I love it. So that reminds me of Kamala where she was like on the debate, on the VP debate stage, and she's like, yeah. Only one person has experience up here with this. So leave it to Right, me. right, right, yeah. right, right, right. She Love said, it. I will not be lectured to. Not at all. I will not be lectured to. So if anybody knows how to negotiate in a very bleeding red state uh, legislature, it's going to be Ms. Francis right here. So, yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so let's talk about one of the issues that you have. I mean, obviously low wages, um, especially for women in the state of Arkansas and the, and the pay, the wage gap. We can talk about that more, but- one of the other issues on your platform is about um, the way, to me, it seems everything's all plugged together, but you do talk about health. And to me, I feel like health comes from what you just mentioned when you talked about rent relief and, and the rent, you know, the, the rights of a renter, those things lead into health issues if not addressed. And mm-hmm. so now we're faced with all these health issues that um, a lot of states in the South face a lot more and have higher rates of than other states in this country. Um, and that's for various reasons. Um, so I wanted to hear your take on the way that insurance, especially the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. and health insurance plays into just health disparities and health issues in your state and what you want to do to fix this. So. First of all, we've got to acknowledge the fact that everyone deserves access to quality health care. Everyone deserves 
I'm gonna say it again, access to quality healthcare. And then we have to figure out how we get there. And one of the challenges, uh, first, we've got physical barriers. Second, we've got financial barriers. Third, we've got other socioeconomic education barriers, technology barriers that all play a part in the disparity that we see in health. When we talk about access to health, not only is it, you know, there are some places uh, within the state where it's almost physically impossible to see a healthcare provider because of the distance and they're not being uh, facilities, healthcare, nursing homes, mental health facilities in the district with, and so, and then you, you've got the cost and the number of people who choose, I think it's like, they were like, I, I forgot the statistic and, um, but there are, there were like 50% of the people who were um, on the, the Medicaid program that we had before when they had the work relief, I mean, the work requirement that chose to go without healthcare and dental care because of the cost. Mm. There are too many individuals, even with, even with those supplemental services who are unable to afford it. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's a challenge to even understand. I'm a small business owner. I mean, I'm an attorney. I'm pretty smart. I started my own business and I went to establish insurance for our, our family and household. And it was, it was a maze. It was a flood of paperwork. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. And then the bottom line was it was expensive as all get out. Yes. And it dawned, I said, how on earth do people who don't have three degrees right. pay for this? Right. And so as blessed and fortunate, I recognize that, but that was the first thought that came to my mind. There are people who are going without, which further degrades the overall quality of health of our Kansans because they are unable to have access. They're unable to afford it. The prescription prices set by insurance companies and the, 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 the OMBs or PMBs, I've forgotten the, um, the acronym, but all of these bureaus and boards that actually set the prices for prescriptions and how they set the prices and how they have absolutely nothing to do with the actual cost of manufacturer production of the medications. So, it, and it's about profit. It's about profit and they're taking profit over people. So we have to just come to an agreement. And, and right now I'd have to further study the actual budget for the state but I do know that my opponent has voted three times to exclude pre-existing conditions from healthcare coverage that's approved at the state level. Yeah. We've got to adjust our mindset as it relates to taking care of one another. It's interesting that when, you know, you noticed in the interview when there is a desire to step back and not have government intrude on certain things such as rent relief, but we're very vocal when it comes to making sure the government is present when it comes to women's agency over their own bodies and when it comes to um, gun ownership. We become very engaged and have a strong opinion as it relates to how much of a role the government should play in those types of activities. So let's, let's, let's just be clear about what it is that you really want and what it is that you don't really want. And we can't just Put it on the government shouldn't be involved. Right. Um, one of one of the things that I noticed, I was looking at the it's called the National Law Center for Women, um, mm -hmm. and they uh, broke down some issues in Arkansas. And one of the things I noticed is 9.9 percent .9 of women age 19 to 64 in Arkansas are uninsured. Now this is more than the typical nationally. It's well, I'm sorry, it's a little bit less. Um, nationally, 11 percent are uninsured. To me, that's still too much. Um, mm -hmm. What do you, why, why, why is it that women in particular tend to, I mean, I know the reason, but I want you to say it. <laughs> why yeah. do you feel like women in particular tend to give up the things that affect us the most, um, give up the things that help us the most? Well, so when you have a choice as, when you, and you also have to look at the number of households that are led specifically by women, because I think that drives that 9.9% as well. When you have the two family, I mean, the two parent household, and there's a husband and a wife, 
then that number goes down. But when you have a higher number of female-led households, and then the woman is charged with making a decision of paying for expensive healthcare for herself versus paying for tuition for her child or paying for her child's um, healthcare or paying the mortgage or paying for other things. As women, generally speaking, we tend to put ourselves last in the equation when it comes to priorities uh, and, and, and expenditures. And we see it as selfish or self-centered when we try to focus, when, when, we try, when we even consider focusing on ourselves and making ourselves a priority. And we have been, that has been ingrained in us. I mean, it's almost just like something that no one ever says directly to you, but it just becomes a part of, of who you are, particularly when you become a mom and you put your kids' needs ahead of your own. I have come to embrace the fact that you cannot pour from an empty vessel. If you are not well, your kids won't be well. If right. you are not well, your family won't be well. If you're not taken care of, your family won't be taken care of. And it's important for mothers to be able to afford the healthcare for themselves and not only for their families. Yeah. So um, decreasing that wage disparity as much as we can do at the state level, we need to make sure that all individuals have a living wage, that they have great benefits from the jobs that they are able to secure. And, you know, and, and, and the, um, like we talked about that, the, the living spaces. Right. So it's, there's, there are a lot of integrated issues. I mean, right, right just now we talked about um, the employment situation. We talked about housing. We talked about healthcare and education all integrated this intersection of all these social issues that are having disparate impacts on different groups of people. And this is exactly why you want someone who looks like you, yes. who is a woman, to be a representative for you. A man is never going to get, I'm sorry, I don't care how smart they are. I've been to male doctors even that mm -hmm. didn't touch certain things because they just mm -hmm. would never experience it. So it's not something they would ever warn you about or think about, think ahead for. Right. For. So this is why you want someone who looks like you to represent you. And that's that's the other thing um, that I bring to the table. And you, you bring you you mentioned it just now. Women generally think of everything. We think of all the case scenarios. We think of all the different components. We think of this, that, and the other, especially as moms. We've got to make sure the kids are settled, you know, the husband or our spouse or our partner. We've got, we're working on all these different things. And generally, you know, the, the other person, they're just going about life. They, it's time to go. I get in the car. You didn't plan anything. You didn't pack anything. You didn't feed anybody. You didn't make sure the dogs were taken care of, you know? So, so when you have someone who is so accustomed to thinking of the impact that our decisions will have, and how is it that we best arrive at the best solution to address these issues, you really do need to have more women at the table. And when you think about the backbone of this country, black women being the backbone of this country, you need some, you need more black women, just quite frankly, to help guide the decision-making process to ensure that it is all inclusive and that it is well representative of the totality of your constituents. And sometimes there's an exception to the rule. Sometimes there's a woman that just may not be here for other women. And I'm talking about Amy Coney Barrett. And I wanted to hear from you how you feel about um, the Supreme Court appointment that, appointment that we know is going to happen. I mean, they mm -hmm. have the, the Senate has the numbers. The Republicans in the Senate have the numbers. It's going to happen. She's been pretty outspoken, not as of this moment, not during her Senate confirmation, but before when she was sitting on a different bench, pretty outspoken about getting rid of Roe v. Wade and overturning that and overturning anything that, you know, mm -hmm. leveled the playing field for women's health, um, women's equality in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and she has her man-made religion to thank for that. And that's fine, girl, do you. But mm -hmm. when it comes to ruling over an entire society, I am extremely fearful of that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sad that it's another woman doing this. And I know that's exactly why Republicans nominated her. It's pretty transparent. We get it. You know, mm -hmm. let me get a woman to do the dirty work so that people can't say it's a sexist man. Um, mm -hmm. You're a lawyer as well. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like you 
would how how do you, how do we make sure the states can still protect whatever is left to protect regardless of what the supreme court does because what i've noticed is even though we have roe v wade that's the law of the land states like arkansas louisiana even and alabama especially and mm -hmm. um even michigan not michigan missouri um places like that have done i mean gone to lengths to restrict certain things within their state mm -hmm. so what can we do if we flip that if the supreme court restricts everything from roe v wade and basically tosses out the window what can states do and what would you do to help open it up right does that make sense yeah it does make sense okay. and it, it's interesting because even in the day of roe v wade you see the restriction of 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 agency that women have over their bodies. Mm -hmm. You see the restriction and the limitations on decisions that, that can be made as it relates to her own reproductive health. Yeah. So if you imagine the removal of that Supreme Court guidance, mm -hmm. then it's liable, depending on who's in the legislature, for those restrictions to further tighten. That's mm -hmm. why it's important to have legislators who are uh, reasonable, well-rounded, uh, progressive, arguing, mandating, uh, pressuring, advocating on behalf of, of, of the women in their constituents, mm -hmm. I mean, in, in their districts. What I fear is that if you don't have that balance of power, then those who are in power will pass and will have the ability to, to pass a variety of things that may not align with your uh, philosophies or mine. And I have actually seen uh, pictures from uh, Capitol, at, at the Capitol after certain legislative meetings where um, women that were in the legislature that were in the legislature that were fighting hard, 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 and these were Democrat women um, who just lost yeah. big issues, significant issues. And regardless of what they put out there, regardless of how they advocated, regardless of all those things, because they just didn't have the numbers and or the relationships with folks on the other side to bring them to their side, it's devastating the impact. And you can fight the good fight, but you've got to have numbers on your side. And, and you know, so it's it takes bridging gaps it takes making sure that you're nurturing relationships it takes not being segmented into uh this person's a democrat this person's a republican we've got to learn to work together mm -hmm. yeah well speaking of working together how do you feel about ice cube and 50 cent and what they've been up to i don't know if you saw but i'm just annoyed by it but that's their claim they're trying to work with the man in charge at this moment yeah, yeah i i get it I get it. Philosophically, I get it. In my heart, I don't get it, right? So I understand the thought process that whatever is going to move the agenda forward, if this is going to make progress for my people, I don't care who I have to work with to get it done because ultimately the end result is going to be good for my people. So I get that. You want to leave it at that? But but it's 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 challenging. You have to you yeah. have to you have to acknowledge that it's challenging. And I just saw um, and this is kind of a, a similar equation. I saw part of an interview that I think David Letterman had with Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And you know, she she's really heavy into criminal justice reform and advocating on behalf of of inmates. And Letterman was really to get her to say, you know, well, how do you feel about Trump? And she, she just, she absolutely would not say anything negative about him. I don't know what her position was. Her, yeah. her, her thought process was he is helping to advance this agenda, period. And that's the only thing I see. So I get that. And I think it can be challenging in the long run because you're sacrificing a lot of relationships. You're sacrificing a lot of your, um, emotional and relationship equity because when there is something that you want to fight against that is blatantly hurting you and your black children kim mm -hmm. what are you going to say now what can mm -hmm. you say because this man has helped you free of like five people 
you know, yeah. that the yeah. Republican agenda has put them in that position in the first place. Why didn't yeah. his Republican governors free them like they were like they should have? Yeah. It's, 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 so. Yeah, it's hard. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, and, and this may be, you know, an over exaggeration, but making a deal with the devil, right? So you yeah. get something in the short run, but in the long run, what does it cost you? And I'm not saying that Trump is the devil. I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he's the devil. But what I am saying is that, you know, who you align yourself with is just as important as the work that you get done. And while it's important, and this is the distinction I would make, um, because there have been plenty of Republicans who, in my conversations and listening tours over the past year, who have shared their dismay, their outrage, their disgust, their disappointment yeah. in the president because of his rhetoric, because of his mindset, because of the, you know, the steps that he's taken. So this isn't a Democrat versus Republican thing that's an issue or just working with the Republicans to get it done. It's, it, it, it really boils down to this particular individual and what he has put out into the universe, how divisive he's been, how uh, misogynistic and xenophobic and Islamic phobic and just name it all and that's who you choose to align yourself with. It's it's it it presents a challenge. It does present a challenge. I like that you say challenge. Mm -hmm. that's, so nice. that's why you're an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> she said that's so nice. That's so nice. I just call it what it is. But whatever. Um, okay, I wanted to touch on something really quickly. I didn't actually see it in your um, in your plan and platform, but I do think that you are well aware of, of this. Um, and I think it plays into health. So climate change, it's something I don't talk much about. Um, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but it seems like black people don't want to talk about climate change. I don't know what's going on here. I'm a girl with allergies that are horrific and they get worse every year. So uh -huh. I feel the effects of climate change. My mom's uh -huh. also a pediatrician. She's a doctor. She uh -huh. tells me every year, uh -huh. it's worse and worse and worse that the kids coming in with asthma, uh -huh. allergies, and bronchitis, and now, you know, pneumonia, and that kills people. Mm -hmm. And I think that people have to really, like, stop and think, like, oh, why is this, why is this suddenly happening? Mm -hmm. Because the environment is changing in mm -hmm. a not a good way. Mm -hmm. um, so I was looking at, you know, stats for Arkansas, and um, there was a study that, that I guess is done worldwide, um, and they break it down per country and then per state. Um, so the study I was looking at, they just put it out last year and they were mm -hmm. saying that it's not that Arkansas has this horrible, it's not like California where there's mm -hmm. so, such drastic effects. There's not these huge wildfires and obviousness happening, but something that they're seeing trend is an increase in average yearly temperatures, which we, we see kills people every summer, you know, mm -hmm. when they don't have, when they don't have air conditioning in their homes and all those things, mm -hmm. um, frequent heat waves, of course public health problems, like insect-borne diseases. We've seen that a few times in the past. Um, Instance rainfall causing soil erosion and farmland drought, which is why our prices at the grocery store are going up for eggs and, and bread and things like that. Is there anything, have you ever thought about like what you want to do differently or what you want to propose or any passion project within that that mm -hmm. you want to address? So one of the things, and, and I, I have begun exploring, and it is it ties to a couple of different platforms. It ties to economy, it ties to the community, and it ties to the environment. And that's how can we better leverage in a much more efficient and cost-effective way solar energy, um, and, and and investing more in that particular industry uh, at source energy. So. So I, I'm exploring that, but I can tell you this, when you talk about climate change and you talk about the human impact on the environmental circumstances that we find ourselves in, when the world was shut down in March, April, and May due to COVID, you saw the effects of not having all of the intrusions that we as humans inflict on, on the environment. You saw it in, in Japan when they saw mountains that they hadn't been able to see for you know for years and years and years for miles away and they could clearly see the mountains. You saw it in Los Angeles. We saw it in all of these different 
really have been uh, environmentally challenged environments where the earth was starting to heal itself. Right. So we know that if we adjust the way that we are consuming so many of the natural resources, that we have the ability not only to just thwart some of the climate change issues that are happening, but actually reverse them. Right. We have the ability to do that. But it, you know what it took? It took a sacrifice. It took a sacrifice for us being forced to stay home, forced to social isolate, forced not to be consuming uh, and driving up and down the highway, you know, all over the place or out and about. It took that type of sacrifice. And that sacrifice came as a result of a global health pandemic. I seriously doubt individuals would be willing to make such a sacrifice without the threat of a global pandemic hanging over their heads. Even if we did small parts of that, you know, like I think people are trying to do too much, like, oh God, we have to shut down every two weeks or we have to shut down two weeks out of the year. Well, honestly, I think we should because I saw the effect that you did. And that was after only two weeks. Water is clear, air is clear. Um, What if we just did smaller things, you know? But you know what else is interesting? Um, I was talking to several friends and we real, we've made different priorities for our lives going forward as a result of coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So many things that we thought we had to do, places we had to go, uh, yeah. things we had to purchase, et cetera, et cetera. We realized we don't need those things. We don't miss those things. And we can certainly do without them. So there's, there's a, a simpler style of life that can be that we've learned to embrace that we are fine with and we should be able to hopefully take it forward. So even those small adjustments will have an impact. But I think exploring other ways to to utilize energy and to preserve our natural resources are are critical. And and a lot of times that comes up uh, head to head with industry and and, and, and additional profits that need to be made or they think they need to be made, um, but we, we've got to make some changes. I, I don't know if people have an appetite for for doing a lot of the things that would really help our environment and would really help our fellow man. Um, we have been conditioned, or certain groups of us have been conditioned that doing so uh, means that we're anti-American or we're some other ism that is scaring people half to death. Because, because really they don't know what it is. And then they just start throwing out additional words that since they don't know what it is, it must be scary, so it must be bad. Right. And we've got to not be afraid of something new and something different and just being open and educating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of education, perfect segue. Um, one of your other issues is the public school system. Yes. Um, now I don't have kids, so I'm not hip to everything going on today. But, you know, I did go to school and I actually went to private school all of my life until I went to Texas A&M, which Mm -hmm. is a public university. Um, And, you know, you don't really see the differences in college with that. But I learned a lot about how academics work, Um, Mm -hmm. being in student government, being the chair of the Academic Affairs Committee. I had to really research, like, what is academic affairs? And a lot of things that we experience in college, it was happening because of the way that we did elementary school, the way we mm-hmm. did middle school. Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of, just a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so much that needs to be changed in this public school system. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your biggest thing that you want to adjust for Arkansas? The biggest thing, and it goes to your question, it starts at the beginning. It starts with quality early childhood education programs because the things that we learn in at four and five, four and five serve as the foundation for learning in the future. Just like you mentioned, some of the things that happen in college, you can trace that back to earlier years. So when we give our children the best advantage and head start that they can possibly have, then we're setting ourselves up for better educational experiences throughout their academic careers. Now we have here, particularly in Northwest Arkansas, we have tremendous early childhood education programs, some that are private and very expensive, and some that are for lower income um, individuals. And those are excellent as well. However, if you're in the middle, 
like most people are when it comes to their income, then you, you're feeling the squeeze because either you earn too much to qualify for the programs for the lower income individuals, and I'm not taking anything away, or you don't earn enough to be able to fully uh, afford the investment for the, the higher end. So there is a group that is being left out of access to quality early childhood education, and it continues to perpetuate the divide as the years go on and on. So shrinking that divide, making sure all families have access to quality early childhood education is a key component of the overall educational program that I'm, that I'm uh, fostering. The other is fully investing in our public education system. M uh, pay raises for our teachers, pay raises for the support staff, because they're all there investing and pouring into the development and, and growth and nurturing of the next generation. And not only just increasing what's in their pockets, but also increasing the professional development exposure, how we're training our teachers, how they're interacting with our students, ensuring they have the cultural awareness that is evident or that is required in such a diverse uh, demographic. When we have, you know, you cannot hold on to the way things were when the, they're no longer that way. So we've got to make sure we are adjusting with the times that we're embracing uh, different cultures, how we speak, how we behave, those microaggressions and micro inequities. All of those things need to be addressed in cultural awareness training to ensure that we're providing an atmosphere that is warm and welcoming for the students as they come. Yeah. Well, we know the White House wants to get rid of diversity training, but I, I believe that Ms. Renetta Francis will make sure it stays in the state of Arkansas. <laughs> I will do my very best. You know, we okay. have uh, we have uh, a Congressman Tom Cotton who is um, similar. <laughs> Similarly minded. I got you. Keep that in mind, guys. Um, okay, so I know we have to close out, but I do want to end with one personal question. Oh. Um, okay, so what I always like to ask women that I think are just amazing and just so accomplished and ambitious and still just doing it. Um, mm -hmm. I always like to ask them something that from Black woman to Black woman, what yes. would you tell your younger self? What would you tell your 20-something self or 30-something self um, because a lot of us are in that space where we just feel like we're just go, go, go. And you don't feel like we're, I don't know, you never feel like you're really succeeding, but mm -hmm. you're constantly working and you're giving up your personal life and mm -hmm. you're just trying to be too perfect because that's mm -hmm. what you need as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. What kind of wisdom can you give your younger self now that you've kind of passed that? Mm -hmm. you're just flexing in your perfection right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that I would, I would find a way to speak to my inner being to give myself more grace because that expectation of perfection or uh, over, over exceeding excellence is stifling and it's, it's hard on so many levels. Uh, whether it's relation, you know, impacts relationships, impacts your health, it impacts so many things. And, and we can still be successful and have these great relationships and all of that and be driven, 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 but give yourself the grace that if the dishes aren't done or if the kids, you know, laundry is still in the floor or, or if you make a mistake. I was definitely afraid of making any mistakes because I thought that it meant that I wasn't equipped, I wasn't ready, I wasn't whatever. We all make mistakes. The trick is to fail quickly, to, to acknowledge that this was a mistake, and learn from that mistake. So giving myself more grace, it's okay to fail, but we fail quickly and just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. I love that. Thank you so much. I need to hear that today. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, how can we help your campaign? Even if we're not Arkansas state residents, how can we help? So one big, huge, huge, huge way is of course a financial donation. Yeah. Uh, 
Yes. Let's, let's, you know, no matter where you are, the money is green and it is well, it will be put to extraordinary use. So making a donation and I can share with, um, with you either here, they can go to the website, which is uh, www.renettafrancis.org, R-O-N-E-T-T-A-F-R-A-N-C-I-S.org. You can learn more about the campaign. You can make a, a, a financial contribution and we still have opportunities to, to volunteer. So even remotely, we have texting opportunities. If folks want to text, um, they can do so. But one of the other things you can do is go to the Facebook page and share it with your network. Share the Renetta Francis for Arkansas page, share the content, make sure we continue to elevate this platform. So share the page, make a donation, volunteer. Those are the things that can help right now. And we'll include the link and her Facebook page in the description box, whether you're watching or listening um, on podcast platforms. So thank you so much for doing thank that. Thank you so much, Natasha. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed our conversation today. And I hope that there was some information here that either inspired, empowered, or just encouraged uh, a, a listener either to take action or to stop doing something that's you know holding them back or to yeah. just keep moving forward. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. So early voting is happening now. I'm assuming it's happening in Arkansas. It um, started yesterday. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Anything in your life, do your mail-in, do your absentee, or go on November 3rd. Yes. And, you know, do what you got to do. Get your votes in, okay? Vote, vote, vote. vote. Thank yes. you so much. All right, Thank guys. You. Thanks for watching and listening. Visit thybf.com for everything that you need and at the YBF underscore daily on Instagram. Thanks for watching and listening, guys. Have a good afternoon.